فَإِذَا سُوَنْ لَقِيتُمْ You meet. Notice, when you meet, not if you meet. When you meet, meaning you will. It's just a matter of time. Sooner or later, you will meet. And when you do meet, الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Those who deny. And this meeting is referring to meeting in battle. Encounter in battle. So this verse is specifically talking about certain commands that were given to Muslims concerning battle. Now before we proceed, what is the background? Remember Surah Muhammad is a very early Madani Surah. In Makkah for 13 years, what was the strategy that was given to Muslims? That whatever persecution you face, what should be your response? Of patience, avoidance, don't confront, don't fight. I mean, a man like Umar anhu, if he wanted, he could have gone and be done with Abu Jahl. He could have. He had the confidence. I mean, he was somebody who got up one day and he said, I'm just going to go kill Muhammad wasallam. He could have done that. You know, he could have gotten up and taken care of many of the mushrikeen, but that would create further problems. So for those 13 years, what is it that the Muslims were commanded over and over and over again? Patience, forgiveness. So much so that we learned that say to those who believe that they should forgive. Forgive. And yaghfiru. They should forgive those who do not expect the punishment of Allah. Meaning their enemies who have been oppressing them, forgive them. So, so far, the strategy was avoidance. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ, for this very reason, he left Makkah also. Because if he remained in Makkah, what were the mushrikeen doing now? They were raising their weapons against him. Remember, a whole group of them had come, surrounded his house in order to attack him together. Now, if somebody has surrounded your house, what does that require you to do? You also pick up the weapons. Isn't it? But Makkah is a holy land. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ was told, leave. He left Makkah. The Muslims left Makkah. But did the mushrikeen stop over there? No. They came after the Muslims in Medina. They initiated the aggression as we learn in the Qur'an. They were the first ones to initiate acts of aggression and violence against the Muslims. So for instance, we learn that when the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, the mushrikeen, the Quraysh, they wrote a letter to Abdullah bin Ubay. Abdullah bin Ubay, remember at this point, he was still not a Muslim. I mean, he was never really a, a true Muslim. But at this point, in the early years of the Medinan era, he had still not accepted Islam. Alright? And the Quraysh wrote a letter to him. Why? Because he was a leader of his people. Remember that before the Prophet ﷺ came, the people of Medina had basically decided that they were going to appoint Abdullah bin Ubay as their king. As their unified leader, which was unheard of in Arabia. Arabs didn't do that. They were too proud to have only one leader. Every tribe had their own chiefs, had their own elders. So anyway, they wrote a letter to Abdullah bin Ubay and to some other mushrikeen from the tribes of Medina. And they said basically that you have given protection to our companion, meaning Muhammad wasallam. We swear by Allah, you must fight him or expel him. Or we will come to you in full force until we kill your fighters and capture your families. 
So basically, they're not really giving them a choice. They're saying, either you fight them or we will come fight you. Either you expel Muhammad wasallam or we will come and fight you. So when this news reached Abdullah bin Ubay and some other mushrikeen, they actually gathered together to fight the Prophet wasallam. They gathered together to fight the Prophet wasallam. But when this news reached Muhammad wasallam, he actually went and visited them. He went and spoke to them. And he said that the threat of the Quraysh to you has reached its end, meaning it's over. They could only threaten you. They can't actually do anything to you. What are you doing? If you're raising your weapons against me, with me are other believers also. And who are these other people? They are your own children, your own brothers. Will you fight your own people? If you're going to fight your own people, you're already giving the victory banner to your enemy. Right? So what are you doing? So the Prophet ﷺ basically calmed them down. And Abdullah bin Ubay, from this point onwards, we see that he always had this grudge against the Prophet ﷺ. But anyway, the mushrikeen, they instigated people of Medina against the Prophet ﷺ. And it didn't stop here. It didn't stop here. We see that once Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu, he went to Mecca to perform Umrah. And Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu was a local of Medina. When he went to do Umrah, he was confronted by some mushrikeen in the haram. And he was challenged that, what are you doing? You have given refuge to our people. You've given refuge to Muhammad wasallam, And here you are freely walking about the streets of Mecca. You think you're safe here? You're not safe here. You're not welcome over here. So basically, he was given a message that as long as you are cooperating with the Prophet wasallam, you're not with us. You are not welcome over here. And it was a clear message of violence against anyone who associated with the Prophet ﷺ. And there are many other incidents like this. And in these circumstances that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed versus allowing, and not just allowing, but commanding the Muslims to fight back. Why? Because... It is not fair for a people to live in so much oppression and injustice. It is not correct. We learn in the Quran that those who when they are oppressed, they help themselves. Yantasirun. And this is a part of helping ourselves. You know, the reason why many people find this fighting in Islam, you know, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ participated in so many battles, they find this problematic is because when many people look at religion, they can only think about forgiveness. Right? But forgiveness is a virtue. And defending oneself is also a virtue. Standing up against oppression is also a virtue. Because if we don't stand up against it, we are with it. Isn't it? We are promoting it. We are letting it spread. We are part of the problem then. So somebody has to stand up against the oppression and not let it continue. You know, generally when we think about religion, we think of, you know, somebody hits you on one cheek, present the other cheek. But this is not how Islam is. So, in these verses we will see how the command to fight is given. In Surah Al-Hajj, we learn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا Permission has been given to those who were fought. They have been fought over and over again. Why has permission been given to fight back? بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا Because they've been oppressed. Right? In Surah Al-Baqarah also there are many verses pertaining to fighting those who fight you. 
And we're not going to go into the detail of that, but the general thing that I want you to extract from this is that it was in this situation that these verses were revealed. Alright? The Prophet ﷺ in Medina, how was he living? In constant fear. Not just him, but the other Muslims also. So I want to give you a brief, although you've studied seerah, but it's always a good reminder to keep the context in mind in order to understand the verses correctly. This is part of tafsir. When we study the verses of the Qur'an, then we must look at the sunnah. And part of looking at the sunnah is also to look at the seerah. So just a brief overview of how the Prophet ﷺ was and the Muslims were in the first few months in Medina. We see that firstly, the Muslims always had their weapons with them. The Prophet ﷺ was not able to sleep comfortably through the night. Why? Because there was always the danger of the mushrikeen coming and harming them. Because that is what they were doing. So, in the first year after Hijrah, in Rabi'ul Awwal was the Hijrah. In the month of Ramadan, in the month of Ramadan, in the first year, what happened? A group of 30 Muslims, right, with Hamza radiallahu anhu, they went and they intercepted Abu Jahl and his people. There was no, basically no fight, but there was an encounter. Alright, Abu Jahl and his people. Before we continue, just remember that in order to maintain security within Medina, to keep the Muslim lives safe in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ would send groups of Muslims in various parts around Medina. Why? To keep an eye on the activities of the enemy. What are they doing? Alright? Because part of protecting yourself is awareness. You have to be aware of the threat. Alright? What's happening? on the other side. What are they doing? And whenever the Muslims learned about a trade caravan of the mushrikeen, they would go and stop the caravan or intercept the caravan. Why? The reason was to show strength to the mushrikeen. Stop bothering us. If you don't let us live in peace, we're not going to let you live in peace. Because many people say, well, you know what? The Battle of Badr was fought because it was a Muslim's fault. They went after the trade caravans, so the people of Makkah had to defend themselves. It's very simplistic, but the reality is far greater than the simple statement. And what is that? That the mushrikeen had constantly been harassing them. I mean, look at the two incidents that I mentioned to you early on. How they sent a letter to the people of Medina, and those people of Medina who went to do Umrah, they weren't safe in Makkah. Right? So part of showing strength to the mushrikeen was that every time their trade caravans would be going, they would be intercepted. So in the first year, we see in the month of Ramadan, there was an expedition. In the month of Shawwal, again, there was an encounter. Alright? The following year, we see in the month of Safar, an encounter. In the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, an encounter. Jamadil Ula, Jamadil Ukhra, encounter. Rajab, another encounter. Sha'ban, Nothing happened. However, in the month of Ramadan was the battle of Badr. I mean, if you look at it, which month was it that the Muslims could actually live in peace? Seriously. And these are just a few things that I've mentioned to you. Not even a single month went by where the Muslims could say, well, you know what? We're at peace now. So they're living on their own. Let us live on our own. No. They weren't allowed to live in peace. Another thing was that for 13 years, Muslims were 
trained to forgive and forgive and forgive. And now they were being told, fight back. And that's not easy. You understand? It's not easy. When you have been suppressing yourself, training yourself to be patient and not answer back and not defend yourself, it's very difficult for you to even say one word in your defense. It's very difficult. So this is why we will see in the following verse how the command to fight is explicit. To make it clear for the Muslims that now you must stand up and defend yourselves. Enough is enough. And we will see a lot of detail over here and it might feel a little too graphic to us, but it was kind of necessary for the Muslims to hear this from the Qur'an to know that yes, we're allowed to do it. Because for 13 years they were told, no fighting, no fighting, no fighting. So here the details are given. Allah says, فَإِذَا لَقِيتُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا When you meet those who disbelieve, meaning in battle, فَالضَّرْبَ الرِّقَابِ فَذَنْ ضَرْبَ الرِّقَابِ Striking of the necks. Meaning, when you're in battle, then you're not going to go start negotiating. Then there's fighting. You're not going to say, well, forgive and overlook. No. You're facing them in battle. So then, get right into it. You understand? فَضَرْبَ الرِّقَابِ ضَرْب To hit, to strike. الرِّقَاب Necks. Hitting the necks, I mean, it's quite obvious. Attack with the objective to kill. حَتَّى until إِذَا when أَذْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ You have inflicted slaughter. أَذْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ سَخُنَ سَخُنَ is basically when something is hard or rather thick, you know, concentrated liquid for example, right? That it's difficult to move. It's difficult to pour even. Like for example, if you're pouring water out of a jug, is it easy to pour? It comes out so smoothly. But if you're pouring out of one bottle into another, then what happens? It takes time. Honey takes time. Doesn't it? This is sakhuna, when something is thick, alright, that it's difficult to move it around. From this, adkhanahu darban, when it's used for battle, in terms of violence, it means that someone was beaten so much that he couldn't move from his place. He couldn't move. Basically, immobile. What this means, أَذْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ in the context of battle is that you have weakened the enemy. You have worn out the enemy. You have broken the strength of the enemy. Because you met the enemy in battle and you went right into it. And إِذَا أَذْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ when you've broken the strength of the enemy and at this point the enemy begins to retreat. Don't let them retreat. Don't let them escape. فَشُدُّ الْوَثَاقِ then shuddu secure alwathaqa the bonds shuddu shin dal dal. What does that mean? To strengthen something, basically over here it's giving the meaning of tying up alwathaq. Wathaq wow thaqaf, and wathaq is that which is used to bind something or someone, right? To bind, for instance, a captive. So chains, fetters, ropes, whatever it may be. So فَشُدُّ الْوَثَاقِ What does it mean? What does this mean? Capture who? Prisoners of war. 
Alright? So, going back to the beginning, when you confront the enemy in battle, then don't start negotiating and don't start thinking about forgiveness and tolerance. Allah has allowed you to fight. These people have come to fight you. Then, fight them. And when you fight them, ضرب الرقاب. And then, when you've broken their strength, and as they're retreating, شُدُّ الْوَثَاقِ Alright? Remember what happened at the battle of Uhud? What happened? The strength of the enemy had not been completely broken. And the Muslims started running. And basically they began شُدُّ الْوَثَاقِ Before, أَدْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ What happened then? The victory turned into a loss. فَإِمَّا Then either مَنَّمْ بَعْدُ A favor afterwards. Meaning after the battle, the captives that you have, either you can show favor to them, وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً Or you can take ransom from them. فِدَاءً فَدَالِيَا فِدِيَا فِدَاء is to free someone by taking a ransom. وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً So two options are given. حَتَّى until تَضَعَ الْحَرْبُ تَضَعَ It puts down. وَوْضَادْعِينَ الْحَرْبُ The war أَوْزَارَهَا Its burdens. Plural of the word wizard. What are the burdens of war? Burdens that people are carrying in war. What are they? Weapons. So, حَتَّى تَضَعَ الْحَرْبُ أَوْزَارَهَا Meaning, until the people in the war put down their weapons. Meaning, this will carry on until basically the battle is over and basically things are back to normal. What this means is, there is a beginning to the war and there is an end to it. There is a beginning and there is an end. Not that it should continue and continue. There is a beginning. When does it begin? When you see the enemy. When you see them in battlefield. When is it over? When the people put down their weapons. Then it's over. So in other words, this fighting is restricted to the battle only. This fighting is restricted to what? To the battle only. It should not carry on forever. ذَلِكْ That is. Meaning this command Allah is giving you, this command to fight the enemy, Allah is giving you for a reason. Because وَلَوْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ If Allah wanted, لَن تَصَرَ مِنْهُمْ He himself would have taken revenge from them. Intasara, Nasara is to help. Intasara is to help oneself. Alright? And when it's against someone, it is to take revenge from the enemy. So if Allah wanted, He could have taken revenge from these people Himself. How? We see the previous nations, once their prophets left them, did Allah punish those people? Yes. How? An earthquake, a scream, a flood. Right? Something or the other happened, and Allah punished those people. But here what was happening? The people of Makkah were not punished through an earthquake or through a flood. They were punished at the hands of those whom they had been oppressing. They were punished through their own victims. وَلَوْ يَشَاءُ اللَّهُ لَن تَصَرَ مِنْهُمْ وَلَكِنْ بَرْ لِيَبْلُوَ So he may try بَعْضَكُمْ Some of you بِبَعْضٍ Through others. And with more trial, 
the sincerity of people is revealed. وَالَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And those people who are killed in the way of Allah, فَلَنْ يُضِلَّ أَعْمَالَهُمْ Then Allah will never waste their deeds. Their deeds will be rewarded for. Their efforts will not go waste. Allah will grant them success. So suffering in the way of Allah is not actually suffering. What is it? It's actually gaining. What do we see in this ayah? The message is quite straightforward. Right? The rules of battle have been given. The limits have been set. When it begins, when it ends. Right? And in particular, what has been mentioned that in battle, darbar riqab basically means kill. Kill the enemy. Right? Once their strength is broken, then take captives. Once the captives are taken, then فَإِمَّا مَنَّمْ بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَى Option is given. Either you can take ransom or you can show favor. What do we learn from this? What do we learn from this? That even prisoners of war are not to be treated with ظلم. Because Allah gives only two options. Either man, and if you cannot do man, then fida. Either be good to them, and if you can't do that, then just take the ransom and let them go. What do we learn in the seerah? The Prophet ﷺ, in the battle of Badr, what happened? Many people of Makkah were taken as captives after the battle. And the Prophet ﷺ, he kept them in the houses of different sahaba. So basically, they weren't just tied up in a dungeon, all right, in a jail, locked up in a place. No. They were kept as prisoners in the houses of different people. Alright? Why? There were many benefits in this. Firstly, the benefit was that it wouldn't be burdensome on the entire community to provide for all of these captives. One person in one house, you have to feed, not a big deal. Because food for one is enough for two. So if the whole family is eating, they can also share their food with that prisoner. Secondly, another benefit was that these people, the mushrikeen, who had come to fight the Muslims, they had never really seen Muslims you know, practicing their Islam. They had always hated on them from a distance. So when they were kept as captives in the houses of Muslims, they saw real Islam. And that changed their perspective on Islam and Muslims. So for example, we learned that one of the prisoners, Abu Aziz, he said that the Ansar Muslims in whose house I was kept gave me bread morning and evening. But themselves, they only ate dates. Now this was a big deal. Because bread is made from what? Wheat. And wheat was not grown in Medina. It was imported. It was brought from outside of Medina, from Asham or from Yemen. It was imported, it was pricey. It was in limited quantities. So he said that they would offer me bread morning and evening. And themselves, they would only eat dates. This was man. Another person, Suhail bin Amr, we learn about him. Remember Suhail bin Amr, he was there at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Right? He's the one who brought the treaty. So he was captured in the battle also, Battle of Badr, many years before Hudaybiyah. And somebody told the Prophet ﷺ, advised him that Suhail is a fiery speaker. Right? Meaning he speaks very powerfully. And he speaks against you a lot. 
So have some of his teeth broken so that he wouldn't dare speak in public again. You understand? They said break his teeth, some of them. Not all, but some of them. Some of them are broken. He'd never have the confidence to speak in front of people eloquently again. And the Prophet ﷺ said, If I have his teeth broken, Allah will break my teeth, although I am a prophet. Meaning this is something I'm not allowed to do. Because Allah has given only two options. إِمَّا مَنَّمْ وَإِمَّا fida. Either show favor or ransom. Ransom and let go. Then we see the story of Thumama bin Usal, not related to the battle of Badr, an incident that happened much later, but you're familiar with it, about how Thumama, he was a leader of his people, he was from Yamama, and he was captured, brought in Medina as a captive, and he was basically kept in the masjid. And for many days he was there, and every day the Prophet ﷺ would come and ask him about how he was doing, what he thought. And Thumama would say that, you know, if you kill me, then you're going to kill a person whose blood carries a lot of weight. If you want some ransom, ask and you'll be given. And if you let me go, then this gesture will be appreciated. So every day Thumama would say this. And then finally the Prophet ﷺ one day came and he said, let him go. No ransom, no punishment, nothing. Let him go. And Thumama went, washed up, and came to the Prophet ﷺ and embraced Islam. Right? So, فَإِمَّا مَنَّ مِنْ بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً Now, one more thing remember, that by the command to show favor, what is forbidden? What is forbidden? Oppression. Torture, exactly. Any kind of torture, any kind of abuse is forbidden. Even though it's not mentioned explicitly, but it's understood. If only two options are given, that means there is no third option. If you have to treat them nicely, then that means you cannot torture. There is no abuse. There is no room for it. One more thing. We see in the seerah that there were some captives who were actually killed. They were captured and then they were killed. So doesn't that go against mannam or fida? Right? Apparently it seems to go against it. Remember that it wasn't just any captive who was killed. It was people who were well known for their hatred, not just their hatred, but their violence against Muslims for a very, very long time. Alright? And it was only those few individuals who were killed because of the fact that they were big enemies, great enemies. And the reason why they were killed as captives is because they survived the battle. Alright? So these were big enemies. But we see that this was not generalized in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. What lessons can we learn from this ayah for ourselves? I'm not talking about battle. Okay? I'm not talking about fighting. I'm talking about personal lessons that we can gain to improve ourselves as human beings, as servants of Allah. What can we do? Yes. Okay. Okay, good. Darwa through actions. Right? The reason why the captives were kept within the houses of Muslims or in the masjid was so that they would see how Muslims are. So darwa through actions. And also an effort to let people see what we do. And not always be secretive. Share. Invite. You know, it's the month of Ramadan. Perfect time to interact with your neighbors with the excuse of Ramadan. You know, take a package of dates 
take some mangoes. People love mangoes. So when you get mangoes for your fruit salad, you know, take a couple nicely, put them in a fancy basket, take them. Right? Yes. Yes. That repel evil with good. Right? Yes. If you're in a position to get back at someone or even, you know, retribution, don't give in, I guess. Be better. What she was saying, repel evil with goodness. Yes. And one more thing. Here, it's made very clear that the purpose of battle is not to expand your territories. It is not to, you know, just kill, kill, kill and quench your thirst, you know, for killing people. No. What is it? It is to break the strength of the enemy. Because if the enemy is still equipped, they're not going to let you live in peace. Right? Yeah. Also, there's this thing going on. It's called Meet a Muslim, and the government is basically encouraging the Muslim people to invite their neighbors that are not Muslim so that they uh, to iftar in Ramadan so that they can um, meet them and understand that it's um, how Islam really works and how you know, neighbors are your friends and stuff. Jazakallah khair. Go ahead. I was also thinking that sometimes when we are faced with a trial or like something hard is happening in our lives, we need to realize that it's happening so that the people, like the Sahaba needed to realize that this was going on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like revealed a verse. So we need to realize that these hardships are happening in our life to improve ourselves. Mm-hmm. To improve our condition. Towards the end of the ayah, what is mentioned? That those who are killed in the way of Allah then their deeds will never be wasted. Hmm? Their striving, their efforts will not go waste. Rather, Allah will give them reward. Allah will bring them success. Even after they have gone. I mean, Musa ibn Umayr anhu. I think by far he's one of my favorite companions. Because look at what he suffered in Makkah. And right at the beginning of the Medinan era, he passed away passed away. He never saw the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. He never saw the conquest of Makkah. Alright? Nothing like that. But what does Allah say? Don't feel pity for those who have even lost their lives in the way of Allah because they have not lost. Allah will not waste their deeds. Allah will grant them success. Sayahdihim. He will guide them. Guidance after death? Because they were qutilu, they were killed. Allah says, Sayahdihim. Allah will guide them. What kind of guidance is this? In the matters of the hereafter. Guidance. Help at the time of facing Munkar Nakir. Right? Guidance on the day of judgment to the gates of Jannah. Sayahdihim. Allah will guide them to Jannah. Balahum, And He will amend their condition. Right now, in the world, yes, they suffered. But Allah will amend their condition. What do we learn from this? When you apparently suffer for the sake of Allah, it's not actually suffering. Even if it's hunger and thirst, while a person is fasting for the sake of Allah, it's not actually suffering. A person is gaining more. وَيُصْلِحُ بَالَهُمْ وَيُدْخِلُهُمْ And he will admit them into al-jannah, paradise. He will admit them into paradise that عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ That He has made known to them. عَرَّفَ يُعَرِّفُ تَعْرِيف What does it mean? تَعْرِيف عَرَّفَ عِرْفَان مَعْرِفَة What is مَعْرِفَة? مَعْرُوف Well known. 
right? To know, to recognize something. Correct? So arrafa is to give recognition of something to someone. To tell them how to recognize something. So for example, you don't know, you've never been to a particular store. Right? And your mom says, when you go on the street, you will see a big red sign. That big red sign, she's doing arrafa. She's giving you the recognition that that red sign means you're at the right place. Right? This is arrafa. So he has already made jannah well known to them. Meaning they're familiar with jannah. They know what jannah is. Jannah doesn't need to be described over here. Because Allah has given enough description to them to know that it's a place worth going to. عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ He will admit them over there. Another meaning of عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ is that once they enter Jannah, they will know it like they know their homes in this world. When you go to a new place, a new place, no matter how luxurious, how fancy, how comfortable it is, the fact that it is new makes you somewhat uncomfortable. Isn't it? For example, you know, just the other day, Alhamdulillah, we visited the new school campus. And uh, as we walked in, we're, you know, I felt like I'm kind of lost over here. Such a big place, you don't know where to go, what leads to what place. We were locked out in the play area for so long because I thought the doors were locked. And they were not locked. They were just closed in a certain way. Right? And there I am calling people, you know, one person after the other. I'm stuck in the play area with all these kids. Somebody come and rescue us. And finally somebody came and they just lifted the latch and that's it. Right? Why did we have this problem? Because we weren't familiar with the place. When you're not fully familiar with the place, you're kind of afraid, nervous. You're not fully relaxed. But Jannah, once people will enter Jannah, they will know it inside out. لهم. We learn in a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that by him in whose hands is the life of Muhammad ﷺ, meaning by Allah, everybody will recognize his home in Jannah better than he recognizes his home in this world. In this world, how well do people recognize their homes? Very well. In Jannah, people will know exactly where their homes are. وَيُدْخِلُهُمُ الْجَنَّةَ عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ Recitation. فَإِذَا لَقِيتُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَضَرْبَ الرِّقَابِ حَتَّى إِذَا أَثْخَنْتُمُوهُمْ فَشُدُّ الْوَثَاقَ فَإِمَّا مَنَّا بَعْدُ وَإِمَّا فِدَاءً حَتَّى تَضَعَ الْحَرْبُ أَوْزَارَهَا ذلك ولو يشاء الله لانتصر منهم ولكن ليبلو بعضكم ببعض والذين قتلوا في سبيل الله فلن يضل أعمالهم سيهديهم ويصلح بالهم the word arrafa also means to make something fragrant. So arrafa lahum, meaning he has made it fragrant for them, meaning it's already fully prepared. Because when you prepare a place, like for example, your kitchen or your guest room, 
for your guests who are arriving, then after you've set the whole place, the last thing you do is put the nice candle on. Right? So, عَرَّفَهَا لَهُمْ It's been made fragrant already and waiting. 